Welcome back to the Bridge Podcast. I'm super grateful that you're here listening today. We have a super special guest. And before I introduce her, I'm going to say the quote of the day, and then we're going to go from there. So I've actually been reading The Four Agreements, and it's a really good book. I encourage you to pick it up if you haven't read it before. And it says, you don't need knowledge or great philosophical concepts. You don't need the acceptance of others. You express your own divinity by being alive and by loving yourself and others. So that was something I came by this morning and uh, I felt called to share. So our guest today is Anika Naidu, and I pronounced it correct, right? And yes. I think that's the first time that's ever happened on the podcast. Um, it's episode 98, and I'm excited for you to be here. Do you want to just introduce yourself um, and tell us like what you do and who you are? Yeah, so I am a mindset and mindfulness coach, a yogi. Um, it's a relatively new career for me. It's something that I transitioned into four years ago after doing my yoga teacher training in India. Before that, I spent the best part of 10 years in, um, well, business and marketing. <clears throat> so a complete transition for me. Um, so I work and live in Austin now, spend most of my time at UT, which is the University of Texas in Austin, as a wellness coach and a yoga instructor. Um, but I'm from London. So I moved mm -hmm. here three years ago after I got married. My husband, my husband's from Austin, which is why, why I'm, I landed here. So yeah, that's the, that's the synopsis. I see. I'm curious what um, made you want to change from the corporate world to then becoming a, a, a mindset and yogi and all the other stuff you do. Yeah. So it started just as a, a yoga, as a yogi, but um so my mom's a yoga instructor. She's been a yoga instructor for 25 years. So I've always had that influence in my life. Um, I started yoga to kind of balance out my training. So I'm very passionate about strength training and I used it for injury prevention and something to kind of balance out my training to begin with. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was kind of in a bit of a rut professionally. I was getting to a point where I was a little bit bored, not quite sure what I was doing. Um, my brother and I were working with my dad and family business can be a little bit hit and miss. So my brother was kind of carving his own path. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I decided to do my teacher training and just decided that I needed to completely cut off and get away from my current environment. So I went to India for two months to do my teacher training because mm -hmm. um, a lot of teacher trainings can be spread out for people that have a full-time job. But that way it takes mm -hmm. about a year to do because you're kind of doing it part-time. Uh, and I just, I just took myself off to India and blitzed it in two months. So I lived, breathed, did everything yoga for two months in the middle of nowhere, which was kind of a pivotal, pivotal moment for me. Uh, and that was where I decided I wanted to become a teacher, to be honest. I didn't go into it thinking I want to teach, mm -hmm. um, but that was when I decided to teach. And that was almost four years ago. I love that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I think it's amazing how you could just like, shift that mindset and say you know what I'm gonna take all my stuff leave for two months and try something that I don't even know if it's like what I actually want to get into yeah. but then you like went there and realized like this is my passion this is like what I want to get into mm. well to be honest I saw it more as like self-development for me mm. which it was uh a bit of an awakening uh, I got there and kind of freaked out because you fly into Delhi. I don't know if you know much about India, but you fly into Delhi. And then I was on a bus for 14 hours, literally oh, driving wow. the mountains to get to this, this ashram where we did our training. So it was in the Himalayas in the middle of nowhere. So really cut off out of my comfort zone. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was one of the best experiences of my life for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was it like? Was it other people like how big was the group um was it a group was it individual um yeah it was 70 70 people mm -hmm. uh mix of men and women mostly women as it usually is with yoga still um over two months yeah so 
Yeah, that was it. And and the thing is it all of the life coaching and all of that has kind of been added on since. I've just kind of like built based on the skills that I've had mm. with ones that I feel go nicely with my existing skill set. So ever since then, I've just kind of carved my own little niche. Got it. Mm. What was, would you say your biggest takeaway from those two months? Um, like it, maybe even like a breathing technique, a yoga move, or just like a life experience that you had there? Um, I think it really drilled in this idea of just non-attachment, not being so Mm. attached to certain outcomes in life. So lots of things up until then hadn't quite happened the way that I had planned or wanted. Um, And so spiritually, emotionally, it was a big kind of learning curve development curve for me mm-hmm. uh, and it allowed me to just be a lot more open so I thought well I'm not I, I've always been quite a bit of a control freak or at least I had up until then kind of wanting to know what was next what I was doing what the plan was mm-hmm. and I left that thinking okay well I'm not quite sure I had some ideas about where I wanted to take my teaching had some ideas about yoga for the athlete uh and I just thought I, I need to be open and just see what, what comes of it, what, what I can do with it. So, um, yeah. yeah. Was it, was it difficult to, um, to take like, for example, non-attachment those two months, it's probably when you're there in that moment, easier to act on having like non-attachment versus like when you come back yeah. and now it's like, everything's hitting you. I remember I read, uh, Jay Shetty's think like a monk. Yeah. And he talks about when he went uh, for his like monk training. I don't know what you call it specifically, but he said when he got back, um, it was hard to like truly translate and put those things into um, like, I wouldn't say the real world, but back into his lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And also to make certain concepts accessible to, to people and to be able to actually realistically implement a lot of what you learn into, into real life. That is, that is a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. It's easy to be uh, in this kind of Zen state when you're waking up, meditating, chanting, doing yoga, repeating it, and you have no other concerns or worries, which is what mm-hmm. I was doing for two months. And I remember getting back to London and just feeling like it was all too much. Um, and I still think London's too much now. I, I do wonder if I could ever live there again, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you have to just figure out how to implement what you learn into your into your life. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to live without my yoga practice, my mindfulness practice. That's why it's so important. Mm. That's why I that's why I teach it. That's why I, I include it in my coaching. I call myself a mindfulness coach because to me, being able to breathe properly, being able to be self-aware and all the all these concepts that are attached to mindfulness, I think mm-hmm. ultimately can dictate the quality of your life. And it's so important. So, yeah, my, yeah my, I, mindfulness is huge. I'm curious, what does your... Uh... Your like mindfulness and meditation routine look like? I know when my godmother, actually, she's a, a life coach and a yoga instructor. So I started going her to her about two years ago. Mm. It was right before I was entering college and I wanted like a non-biased point of view, like help. So I went to her, but we started incorporating like breathing techniques and like yeah. I started doing Wim Hof breathing and then okay. different like visualization meditations and that completely changed my life like the the idea of stress and how my breath can control that and how I react to certain situations isn't how big or how small the situation is it's rather like how I perceive it like and I can calm myself down with my breath so I'm curious what does your meditation routine or mindfulness routine look like um so every day pretty much at the same time because it works for me I have like 30 minutes of just time for me and I'm lucky enough to have a room that's dedicated as a yoga space but that's just because it's a huge part of my life I don't think everyone needs that Mm -hmm. but just a a quiet space where I do 
a few kind of we can talk about yoga for the athlete but yoga for the athlete inspired stretches and a lot of restorative yoga so using a lot of props Mm. Um, and in one of those restorative poses I will just do like a 10 minute breath work routine but it's very simple and it's what I get my clients to do it's just deep breath in and long slow exhale out nasal breath abdominal kind of low belly breathing and just down regulating your nervous system because when you're not when you're not doing that you're you're never engaging your parasympathetic nervous system so Mm. We're always in fight or flight because we're very rarely breathing properly. So I think people underestimate the power of the breath. Um, and I encourage people to do it even in the moment when they're when they're feeling reactive or they're feeling like they're about to get angry or whatever it might be, is to just come back to the breath. But that even mm-hmm. takes time to get to, right? To even to even create that gap between your response and being able to actually be aware that oh hey I'm about to respond in this way I mean that in itself is a huge step so Mm -hmm. any breath work routine I think is super important if you can create that habit yeah Yeah. have you ever I'm curious have you ever done kudalini I think it's called where you like like hold your arms in the air yeah my mom's a kundalini instructor oh so there's it's like a specific thing like yeah yeah. So she, she teaches a lot. She teaches Iyengar, uh, which is a very traditional style of yoga and Kundalini. So she's an expert in that. Uh, I'm not, and I've, I've not done a lot of it, um, but I have done it with her. Yeah, I have done it. Yeah. Cause I've, I've been doing that. My godmother showed it to me, like holding your, your arms up and like yeah. doing the exhalations through your nose. And I'll do like, I listened to a song by um, Soul Rising. Mm. I can't remember. I think it's The Journey. But um, and after like three minutes of that, I feel like wired. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like I just drank like three cups of coffee and I'm like, like super focused and like, yeah, in the moment. And I think it's like you mentioned, it's crazy how much breath work can change your um, your focus and like your mindset on things. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. 100%. 100%. When you when you have a client who say comes to you like stressed out or um, has like anxiety, what's your first step or approach to, to helping them um, through that? Um, well, delving a little bit into where that anxiety, whether it's just they have a natural tendency to be anxious or whether it's stemming from something, because I think we all suffer with anxiety to a degree, but some people Mm -hmm. actually have really bad anxiety and always have done. Uh, So whether it's actual, um, whether it's been diagnosed as something that they live with and are trying to manage a bit better, or whether it's been created by some kind of event or circumstance in their life, and taking it from there. So getting to the, the root of the problem, first of all, is, is, is the issue. Um, what is the main focus? And then, and then taking it from there. Um, but mindfulness, breath work will always be incorporated in sessions, but also something I would say to anyone to try and incorporate into their, into their life. So when you say anxiety, do you mean someone that has anxiety or someone that is anxious about something? I was I was thinking like anxious about something. Okay. Um, well, talking through what that thing is um, mm-hmm. and breaking it down. So life coach, anxiety is, is not spending enough time being present and spending too much time worrying about something that's already happened uh, and or creating stories in our head about what's going to happen, right? So um, life coaching is all about breaking things down and creating the next actionable step. So we don't spend enough time looking at what we can control in the moment Mm. 
and then looking at what our next our next step is and how that next step is going to serve our ultimate goal and actually looking at what our goal is so Mm. it's very granular it's very outcome focused it's all about you know actionable outcomes so a lot of people aren't necessarily ready for life coaching some people you you kind of figure out that some people maybe need to see a therapist first some Mm. people do both at the same time which is fine um but this is where there's a misconception because life coaching is relatively new as as a career so I think it gets thrown into like the therapy bucket or the counseling Mm. bucket and it's actually very different um so I'm not qualified to delve into someone's past for example or diagnose um whatever it might be but Mm -hmm. we do all have to varying degrees trauma that needs to be dealt with that a a lot of people don't don't deal with we all have childhood trauma that has ultimately dictated our current thinking patterns our current behaviors the way we see the world the way we interact in our relationships that Mm. all ultimately stems from what we absorbed in our formative years so a lot of people just I think, don't quote me on this, but I think the stat, the stat is that we do up to 95% of things on autopilot. That's how Mm. kind of like unaware we are generally. And when we don't know why we do a lot of what we do, even if, Mm -hmm. even if we want to change certain things, even if we're not happy with certain things, we don't know why we do a lot of what we do. So sometimes a lot of work has to be done there. And that's not the job of a life coach. The job of a life coach is to look at what your existing goals are and to keep you accountable until you reach those goals, essentially. Mm. Um, and, to, and to, you know, to help you create, you know, sustainable habits and healthy behavior change. But sometimes, well, a lot of the time you can't do that until you've done a degree of work on yourself, I believe. Um, if you're stuck in certain things from the past, or if you don't have a degree of understanding of why you are the way that you are or why you behave in certain ways, you're less likely to be able to move on from that and want to change it. So Mm. the other thing I don't do is advise, which is what a counselor does. So I don't give advice. Um, So Mm -hmm. a lot of people will just tell, ask me to tell them what to do, (laughs) which again, I don't want to do because I think everyone essentially has their own answers. They're just super cluttered mentally and can't sort through their existing thoughts. Mm. So my job as a coach is to help you clear through that and pave the way to the answer, which I believe you already have. Mm. I I just have skills in asking good questions and listening. Mm. So yeah, those are, those are hopefully you can see the differences there between between all three yeah yeah that's a I feel like there's a lot of good stuff to unpack there and even when you talk about the the childhood it's funny Mm. you mentioned that because when I was younger um when our family used to go to restaurants during like halftime or like commercials I used to walk up to tables and ask them like who they were cheering for and why and it's like now as I'm older I'm still like interested in people's why, but it's through a different form of like having a podcast and like asking people these questions about their own why. Um, And I love the idea of turning inward for the answers instead of outward. Mm -hmm. Um, It reminds me of the quote, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. So whatever like a thing is, how we see it is dependent on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and also the the stat of like 95% on autopilot that always gets me and i've i've heard it before um but it's just crazy to me to think that like like this idea of being present and not in the future or the past is so difficult to to manage yeah yeah 100% and i think that if you do get to a point where you think for example, I really want to lose weight. I have tried this, this, and this to try and do it. It's not happening. Very often you unpack behaviors that are far deeper than just not being able to lose weight. Mm -hmm. So 
for me as a coach, I'm not here to just tell you to eat this and exercise in this way. There are lots of people already doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm here to unpack your current behaviors and habits that are not serving you and that are ultimately going to allow you to create a better version of you so that you can lead your life and you can be sustainable with it. Mm. You're not looking for the next quick fix or you're not just looking at changing symptoms. You're looking at addressing, you know, root behaviors. Um, But yeah, we, we, we can look at our behaviors and then we're like, Oh, but why do I do that? And it can be scary to think about why you do certain things the way that you do. But I say to people that I work with, you know, see it as something that's interesting. Be curious about why you behave the way that you do. Mm. It's interesting. It can be a bit weird. And then you realize that actually everyone's a bit weird. Everyone has their own quirks. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that, you can then work to change it. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's... Um... It's so true. Like, as we mentioned earlier, turning inward to find the answers. But um, I think spending time with yourself is something that's really valuable as well, especially with this past year, like with quarantine and all this stuff. I really started spending time with myself that I was I was forced to do. But um, I think it it's really helped me in the long run because I've learned to like spend time with myself, learned how to like truly love myself and enjoy like not doing things you know like I can sit down and just be with myself and like let my thoughts run Mm -hmm. I know there's I can't remember who says it but like man it says like man's worst uh fear is sitting alone in their in a room like with their own thoughts yeah and to truly like instead of run away from that like sit down with your own thoughts take five minutes to take some breaths and like go through what you're, you're thinking and it can lead, uh, it can be beneficial in the long run for you. Yeah. And that's, that's what yoga is as well. Yoga is about people think that yoga is basically just a bunch of poses and Mm -hmm. the physical practice of yoga is just one branch of yoga. So, you know, pranayama, which is breath work is another, another part of yoga. You've got the study of yoga, which is like the science of yoga, the philosophy of yoga. You've got devotional yoga. So some people who practice yoga, just, just chant. Mm -hmm. That's, that's their form of yoga practice. Um, but all of those are ways of being able to detach from this, what we call this monkey mind. So this mind Mm. that is swimming with thoughts and those thoughts are collections of our experiences and impressions. And we don't need to attach so much importance to all of them because they are just thoughts. And being able to still your mind allows you to, what we say in yoga is become an observer rather than a doer. So being able Mm. to watch those thoughts and as they pass, it's okay to watch them and let them go rather than become attached to them. Uh, and when you can do that, we create what, what's called this mindfulness gap. I can't remember who, who coined that term, but it's basically creating the bigger gap between stimulus and response. So mm. this issue that we have with reacting all the time to things, that gap between stimulus and response is is really the goal, right? The goal of all of this is to create that space. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and that observing reminds me, I've actually been doing uh, yoga nidra too, like the sleep meditation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been doing that instead of naps, like during the day, I'll like do a yoga nidra session. And they always say, instead of like thinking and doing, feeling and being. Mm -hmm. And thinking about that through my day as well, rather than reacting to something, be an observer and like take time to really dissect something before you judge it is yeah. uh, super important for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, you talked about like the physical of yoga. And one of my, my questions um, that I wanted to talk about is how does physical health for you translate to mental health, um, spiritual health and all emotional health and all those you know this is a bit controversial because I think a lot of trainers and people in fitness health wellness whatever you want to call it 
there's lots of terms flying around these days, will say that physical health has a huge impact on everything else. It can change your life, blah, blah, blah. For me, it was more the other way around. When I when I really dove deep into investing in my spiritual and emotional and mental well-being, mm. my physical health improved. So I believe, I believe in the other way around. Ultimately, I believe in working from the inside out. It all goes hand in hand. Ultimately, we are psycho-physical beings. I think when you have got to a point where you have aligned your physical, your mental, your spiritual, I mean, that's the goal. That's, that's the ultimate when all of those things are aligned. But for me, I've been training for a long time physically, but my mental health was quite poor for a lot of that time. So personally, I'm not sure how much of a positive impact just taking care of my physical health had because I hadn't, I still hadn't ultimately addressed a lot of my destructive behaviors. Mm. For me, yoga and taking care of my mental health actually improved my physical health. I don't think everyone would say that. I think a lot of people will say that physical, physical activity has had a great impact on their mental health. For my husband, for example, he suffers with anxiety. He's been really open about it and having a consistent workout routine mm -hmm. is like his biggest outlet for him. Like he he swears by it. He swears that it's, it's been one of the kind of cures of his anxiety. Um, but that's just a personal thing, a personal thing for me. I think it, it contributes, but I don't think it's the be all and end all. I don't mm. think it's, I don't think it's the only answer. Um, so I have like, I've been quite open about the fact because you have a lot of kind of influencers talking about wellness, for example, and they will, They'll talk about like a workout and a CBD product that you can take and a green juice that you can drink as mm -hmm. if it solves all problems. And it doesn't like for me, addressing your thought patterns and being able to control your mind, being able to be at one with yourself is where real health lies and well-being lies, I think. And that starts from the inside out. It doesn't start with your body mm, yeah i i actually i'm glad you brought that up because i've never um really like thought of it that way mm. and i think um that makes a lot of sense to me and with what you mentioned about like you see on instagram these like wellness people oh like drink a green smoothie and this and that like take cbd or even this concept of self-care and mm. people say oh like self-care and it's like they take a picture of like a bubble bath and like a glass of wine it's like that's right. that's right. not self-care yeah and I find that I find that ironic because the glass of wine thing for example as as an example wine is sent alcohol is essentially like a sedative right mm -hmm. so when people come home from work and they'll automatically want to switch on the tv and pour a glass of wine they are not ultimately addressing their health or wellness because they're drinking something that yes, might help, might help them sleep, but it's not going to put them into a natural deep sleep because it's like a sedative. So it's kind of knocking them out, but it's not inducing deep sleep. That's not mm. the effect that alcohol has. Rather than going for that walk or doing a little bit of breath work or something physical that is going to have a much better impact on your body and your mind, for example, when you need to wind down. I just think mm. that the whole idea of quote unquote wellness has been skewed a bit. Uh, and I don't, I don't love that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I think, do you want to talk about um, the importance of sleep? I think mm -hmm. I saw on one of your uh, Instagram posts, you talked about that. And I'm a huge fan of sleep i'm like yeah. nine hours a night um and i enjoy like going to bed early and like being on a college campus it's probably not the coolest thing to do but <laughs> i still do it um yeah. and yeah so do you want to talk about the importance of sleep yeah so um for me i think sleep is obviously incredibly important it's incredibly important to how you feel and how you function um 
lack of sleep has a huge impact, not just on your performance, but on your everyday interactions. It, it is going to make you moody if you're constantly sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of people are getting a little bit less than they should every day. So they're not chronically sleep deprived. They're probably just not sleeping enough every day, but their body has become so adjusted to it that that's their new normal. Mm. So when they're looking at things like not getting the results that they want in the gym or not performing optimally, optimally in any way, feeling a little bit fatigued throughout the day, it's part of it could be that they're just not sleeping enough, but they've just got so used to kind of underperforming than mm. what they could be because they're not setting themselves up for great sleep. So I've talked about sleep uh, in, in lots of different ways. So the last thing I talked about was not having to sleep. This was quite like, oh my God, I can't believe she said that. But um, not having to sleep, if you have a partner or a spouse, not having to sleep in the same bed as them every night. Because mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, and lots of people I talk to say this, oh, but like, I don't want to not sleep with my husband because that's like, not something you're supposed to do or like what's that going to do for our sex life for example Mm -hmm. the two having a good sex life and having good sleep are two separate things first of all Mm -hmm. second of all it's just sleep so if your goal is to have optimal sleep and the two of you have completely different schedules completely different sleeping patterns for example my husband and I sleep at different times because I wake up much earlier than him Mm -hmm. I'm also a really light sleeper so even if he comes into the room later on, we have a dog who's a psychopath. The dog, in reality, like this is the reality of the situation. Dog's gonna wake up, they're gonna wake me up. My sleep's gonna be disrupted. To me, that's not worth it for the sleep of sleeping in the same bed. So most nights we sleep in separate beds and it's great. We have great sleep because we have different schedules and during the week that works. So I say, If you are the type of person that is prone to sleeping early, listen to your body Mm. and do what you need to do to get that sleep. So the other side of the coin is some people think that like you have to sleep early because that's like what healthy people do. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily. Some people are wired to sleep a bit later, like tune into your natural circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. And if you are naturally sleeping later and naturally waking up a bit later, it doesn't mean that you're less productive. You're still awake for the same hours of the day. So I think that's another myth that needs to be kind of broken because a lot of, again, like health and fitness people will say, go to bed by 10 o'clock. I don't Mm -hmm. believe that. I know lots of very productive, successful people who, who are awake until midnight and They don't get out of bed till seven or eight in the morning and that works for them. Um, The other thing is people are obsessed with talking about the morning routine. Mm -hmm. So like get up, do five minutes of gratitude, write in your journal, just the same old stuff that you see, right? Mm -hmm. Well, everyone has to journal. Like for journaling works for some people, writing things, what is the point of journaling? The point of journaling is essentially a method to kind of process your thoughts. So Mm -hmm. journaling is great for some people, but I know some some clients that I've worked with that feel stupid journaling and it it has no impact on them whatsoever. So, okay, don't do it. Like don't force yourself to journal because Mm -hmm. so-and-so with a million followers told you to. I personally think gratitude is hugely beneficial, but it doesn't need to be like a whole long drawn out process for me in moments where you're feeling like, and I'm going to talk about this a bit more actually in the next few days, but in in moments where you're feeling like you've not achieved as much as so-and-so, or you've not got to where you wanted to be taking a moment to yourself to remember what you are thankful for, for what you have. Mm-hmm. I think that's hugely powerful. I don't think you need to sit for half an hour and like intensely think about all the things in your life you're grateful for, for yeah. example. So this goes back to the whole morning routine thing. I don't think a morning routine is worth even looking at if you don't have an efficient bedtime routine. Because if you're waking up feeling like crap, Mm -hmm. No morning routine is going to solve that. 
when you haven't had a good night's sleep. So I think what you should be focusing on first is, is an evening routine to down-regulate and to set yourself up for optimal sleep. So there's no point necking a bottle of wine and vegging out in front of the TV till 2 a.m. and then like trying to set up your morning routine. You're again, just addressing a symptom. Look at the, look at the root cause. So a lot of people will say, don't look at your phone, for example, um, in the lead up to going to bed. Uh, and you know it's been proven that that blue light does disrupt sleep so um but then for some people some people it doesn't impact them like it doesn't impact them to look at their phone before they go to bed so you need to you need to kind of figure out what works for you but I would I would say look at your evening routine before your morning routine um yeah what are some good before you before you go to bed look at what what helps you down regulate what helps you relax your nervous system Mm. things things that typically do work are a few minutes of breath work and it doesn't have to be complicated at all um i say to people if it's just like a quick like tip find somewhere quiet that you can lie down or sit sit down and take a normal breath in and out and then a deep breath in and a long slow exhale out and repeat Mm. that 10 times and you'll see that just that has a huge impact on just relaxing you. Like your whole physiology changes when you, and that takes, that will take about two minutes. Mm -hmm. You can even do it in bed before you go to sleep. Um, You know, some, you know, go, if, if you've had a long day sitting at a desk all day, think about whether it's, and you'll you see this is the other thing about implementing habits that are going to be sustainable. So if you, for example, if you're someone that sits at a desk all day, and you have the habit of pouring the glass of wine and watching TV every night, ask yourself for the coming week, what's achievable? Could I go for a 10 minute walk three times this week after I get up from my desk? And what's going to what's going to set me up to do that? Should I leave my trainers by the door or by my desk so Mm -hmm. that all my change of clothes by my desk, like set the environment up so I'm going to do it. And then if that works, make it four days the following week or increase your walking time to 20 minutes. You know, and this is the other problem. We try and change our habits way too fast Mm -hmm. and way in in extreme measures and Mm -hmm. what we're surrounded by doesn't help we're surrounded by messages that promote quick fixes extreme fixes and none of that works so that was a very long answer to your question oh oh no Uh, that was I think that hit that hit all the points um and I really uh see the value as well like with the morning and night routine um something that I've been trying to do before I go to bed is like for me being on my phone right before is fine. Mm. I usually wear like the blue screen glasses for like the 10 minutes when my lights are off and I lay in bed, but, um, I try to listen or watch something positive, Mm. um, to like, that's like the last thing on my mind. And Mm. to me, my logic is like, all right, if it's the last thing on my mind, like I'll sleep with it and then wake up with it. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's super powerful. And then in my morning routine, I don't use or check my phone for the first hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours of my day, because I think that's wasted energy, you know, Mm. especially in the morning that's at my most vulnerable state because I just woke up, my mind is clear. And if I insert like Instagram, whatever, and all its negativity, Snapchat, all of that, that, that will affect like my energy and my ability to be productive and do the tasks that are meaningful and I actually need to get done. Um, But it's good that you even have that awareness. See, I was, I went to get a coffee today and I was standing in line and everyone in front of me in line was scrolling through Instagram. mm -hmm. See, I'm active on Instagram, but I, I police like my engagement with it. So for example, in the morning, I will allow myself five minutes to scroll. Mm -hmm. I don't allow myself to flip through stories because that is like, to me, that's like danger zone. Cause suddenly like 10 minutes later, I'm like- Yep, you're like, where did time go? I don't know who I am or what I'm doing, you know? 
Um, and people are mindlessly scrolling Instagram in front of me in this queue while they're waiting for their coffee. And I'm just like, this is a lot. And like, I have set times in the day where I'll have like time to mindlessly scroll, you know, or like look, but this is the thing. It's not mindless because I've actually set that time to just of, of like nothing time. Cause we all need that. And mm-hmm. um, I have set that, that time intentionally to pointlessly scroll through Instagram. So I'm very aware that I'm not being particularly productive, but mm-hmm. I've put a time cap on it. So I think another useful thing to do is maybe monitor your screen time um, mm. before bed rather than just like scrolling um, pointlessly. Um, but this is that different things work for different people. So like mm. for me, um, I'm okay to like get up in the morning and just go. Uh, but my evening routine, so I have like that, I have that, that 30 minutes to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like non-negotiable for me. So I think everyone needs to find what works for them. Bear in mind, I've been a yogi for a while and I've built myself. I'm not saying everyone needs to sit in a quiet room and do yoga for 30 minutes. That's mm-hmm. start, start small and see what works for you and then build build from there. And that's applicable to anything you're trying to change. Right. Yeah, that uh, you mentioned it earlier too, just like small wins add up. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to change your routine about like going for a walk, the idea of like putting the shoes out, your clothes out, you've already like mentally, if you do that, you've already like won the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, just like when they say like, if you don't feel like going to the gym, just like getting there. Yeah. That's like even yeah. more than like the workout, the lift that you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it takes a lot for, like you said, nowadays it's everything's the quick fix. What can I do now to get this? What can I do to, you know, like lose, like people say, Oh, I want to lose weight and lose fat and gain muscle. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're not going to do that like mm-hmm. right away. Right. I mean, unless you're taking steroids, it's not, it's not going to happen. Yeah. There's a process. There's a process to everything. And we, we don't like the process. Basically we want the results straight away. And it just, that's how, and what's amazing is that that is precisely what makes us unproductive and stops us from actually getting the results. So Mm -hmm. the best thing that you can do is throw yourself into that process and enjoy it, try and Mm -hmm. enjoy it. And not comp- and I think a lot of the traps that people fall into is comparing themselves to what everyone else is doing. Mm. And that's a recipe for misery because unless it's someone that you know really well and you're learning from them, then a degree of comparing is, is healthy. Mm-hmm. But most, most comparing that we do is unhealthy because we're comparing ourselves to someone on Instagram who we've never met. Yep. We have no idea what their journey is, what their circumstances are. And so if you think about it, really, it's ridiculous, but we, we do it. Um, so being mindful of that as well, uh, all mm. of these things stop us from actually getting what we want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, like the social media side of like, everyone just posts all the positive things, you know? everyone just posts like smiling everyone posts like the parties and stuff and i've like i've literally seen it before where like people post stuff in their story and then they just sit on their phone the rest of the night like if if they were at a party or something and it's like well now when someone else sees that they're gonna be like oh my gosh they're having a great time like why am i not having a great time but it's like trust me like they weren't having a great time everybody wants to portray like the highlights and uh so I think it's really good to to be aware and conscious of the the content you're consuming through mm. social media is mm. important as well. Yeah. And I've also been I've been really open with my struggles, like my mental struggles and and how what I do and essentially my my discovery of yoga and throwing myself into that how that changed my mental health and how that impacted my physical health. So if going back to that point of, if you're struggling with your weight, for example, with your physical health, and you're constantly just looking at addressing the symptoms, 
Mm-hmm. Maybe it is something deeper that you need to look at. And I've, I've talked about this before. Like you have people talk about not seeing results, but then you get a little bit deeper into conversations with them and they have a really stressful relationship. Mm. So that's called, that's a huge cause, cause of tension in their life. And you have to understand how that has an impact on your physical health. Your emotional well-being is suffering on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. That is undoubtedly having an impact on your physical health. It's having an impact on you reaching your goals. So it's looking at your health. I don't like the word, but holistically looking at your health so that all of these branches of your wellness are being addressed and you're not just thinking, well, why am I not losing weight kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, health is more than just like fitness, exercising. And uh, I think a lot of people miss out on that. Mm-hmm. Um, something we, we always ask uh, our guests on the podcast is if you could text yourself five years ago, what would you say and why? And then if you could text yourself five years in the future, what would you say and why? And I'm also a huge believer in giving people like, you know, some time to think about it because I don't want to rush people into questions like that. So if you want to take a, a beat or two. Hmm. Well, the five years ago one's a bit easier than the five years in the future. For five years ago, so five years ago, this is before... I'd say I had just gotten into yoga. It was before I went to India. Uh, I think I had a lot of self-doubt. So it would be something around just, just trusting the journey that you're on and not beating yourself up so much for not having, the, not having all the answers. Mm. Um, five years in the future. Um, I know you're super present, so you probably don't think about this much. Um. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God, that's a really tough one. Mm. That's tricky. I mean, in five years, I would ha- I see myself probably having a child mm-hmm. and definitely elevating my career. So just building and building and building on what I'm doing. Uh, and I'm not sure where that's going to take me. Um, so... I think I would say something around um, yeah, not forgetting to stay grounded and have balance because I think that's what I want. I want to I want to have both. I want mm-hmm. to be able to have like a really healthy home life and be able to be independent in my own right and it would be something around reminding myself to stay stay grounded with that Uh, Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of our core behaviors can always come out and I've always had a tendency to be quite extreme so my my constant work is to come back to having some degree of like balance and equanimity and not getting too extreme with anything so Mm. yeah something about that that's a really hard one that's a really hard one I think that does truly uh emphasize how how present you are yeah um, I don't I don't I don't actually think I mean I I I I mentioned the child thing because my husband and I have talked about what we're doing maybe in the next year or two because we have Uh but like I don't think we even had a conversation about five years from now I don't think we've ever even mentioned that so for me I'm just like I have no idea I genuinely have no idea Uh uh-huh yeah I I love that too because um now this will be a reference point in in years looking back uh that's one of my favorite parts of of asking that question um so I want to be conscientious of your time I'm working on my conscientiousness and awareness you know um there was one thing you could leave a listener with or like one lasting thought that uh you want to put out there what would that be um i would say always come back to what serves you 
keep keep asking yourself if what you're engaging in is truly serving you and your purpose. And if you don't know what your purpose is, that's okay, because most of us don't until later on, and it's okay to take some time to figure that out. But allow yourself moments of stillness and, and keep asking yourself if what you're doing is serving you or if you're doing it to to serve something else, whether that's another person or society or because you've been conditioned to do what you're doing. Don't live your life if you're not leading it. You want to play a leading role in your life. A lot of us lead our lives, but we don't play a leading role in it. Mm. So that's what I would say. Yeah, that's, I'm definitely going to have to re-listen to, to that. Um, that was, that was really good. Um, I just want to take uh, this moment to appreciate, show appreciation and gratitude for, for coming on. And I also want to honor you for uh, the life that you live and for not only preaching, but also practicing what you preach. Well, you, I can't believe how old, how old are you? I can't believe how old you are. I'm 19. So I'm a current, I'm That's a sec- wild to me. That's insane. That's so impressive. I mean, I think back to when I was 19, I didn't know shit about anything. So that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm in my, this is my second year of, of college. So I'm keeping up with like my passion project of, of this podcast while uh, yeah. studying. So um, where can <laughs> listeners find you um, on social media and things like that? I'll definitely link everything. Uh-huh. Um, so you know, I'm, uh, my Instagram is the mindfulness coach underscore. Um, that's, that's where they can find me. Awesome. So again, thank you so much. And if you made it this far listening, uh, I really appreciate you. And um, if you think someone could could benefit from this episode, definitely uh, share it with them. There was um, a lot of good stuff. And so thanks again. Love you guys.